Hello, and welcome to the First Prez Mommy podcast, the show for people on the go who like to stay in tune with the conversations at our church. Today, Pastor Clint Tolbert shows us with Mark 12, 1-17, that the more we try to control our life by ourselves, the less we are able to trust in God's kingdom. Let's hear today's message. I'm with uh, Grace and Hope Corbett. Uh, they are sisters, and they have a third sister. Her name is Ruth. Ruth. And Ruth isn't here. Ruth is playing in, in the nursery. But, but Grace, how old are you? Eight. Eight. And what grade is that? Second. Second grade. And Hope, how old are you? Um, six. Six. And what grade is that? Kindergarten. Kindergarten. And Hope, tell me one, what's one of your favorite things in life to do? Watch Grace play video games. That's what I was saying. Watch Grace play video games? And, and is one of your favorite things to do to play video games? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, that works out well. Okay. So tell me one more time. If you're that vineyard owner, Grace, how would you feel about what these people are doing? I'd be mad and frustrated that, like, they wouldn't respect the one that put his time and work into making it. That's right. And Hope, how would you feel if you were the vineyard owner? Sad. Sad? Why would you feel sad? These are really hard questions. <laughs> They're actually super easy. Like, Why would you be sad? Would you feel sad because he, they killed his son? So we are in a series during Lent where we're approaching Lent through the eyes of children. As we've made our way through the Gospel of Mark, on Ash Wednesday we came to a passage where Jesus suggested that, that unless we embrace his kingdom like a child, we, we can't take hold of it at all. And, and therein lies a clue that, that Jesus not only wants to serve our children, uh, but wants us to recognize that sometimes they get it quicker than we do. And so every, every week we've been uh, showing a video of me kind of interviewing a, a couple of kids with the text we're looking at this morning. So the first week we recognized that, that in order to take hold of God's kingdom, we've got to give up trust in wealth. The week after that, you may remember, we, we noticed that in order to take hold of Jesus' kingdom, we've got to give up trust in our own personal power. This morning, uh, we will look at this, this notion from the scripture that if we're going to take hold of the kingdom Jesus is bringing into the world, if we're going to take hold of the life that he really wants us to live, we've got to give up trust in our own authority, our own right to make things come into being in the way we think they ought to be. And to, to notice that, you, it's not hard if anyone has been with an infant in a high chair, maybe having placed in front of them for the very first time something like a small bowl full of peas. I remember my kids doing this. They put a bowl full of peas and the child looks at it, tastes it, 
and then says, no, right? And might throw the peas all over the floor. A child is beginning to recognize their, their own authority and exercise it. A good and godly parent, of course, will come alongside that authority and, and help the child recognize there is a greater authority still meant to be exercised for their good. And if the parent does that, the child will never eat peas again, right? <laughs> or the rest of their vegetables, for that matter. We can recognize that. The same truth is brought to us in the text this morning, that all of us go through life recognizing our own authority, our own agency given to us by God, but like an infant sometimes exercising that in a way that's going far beyond its limits, in a way that hurts not only us, but others. We're like infants sometimes, called to submit our authority, to let go to the greater Father who, who loves us. I, I want to show that to you from the text. You might say, huh, I'm not seeing that. Um, well, I'll show you. If you'll open to Mark chapter 12, um, we'll look at the text together. As you do, let me, let me pray one more time for the blessing of God's Spirit. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for children in a unique way in this season, and especially today. You're putting them in front of us, helping us recognize that it's through them we might understand you and who you call us to be a little bit better. So, Holy Spirit, would you take... Uh, this word and impress it on our heart. We don't want to be mere hearers of the word. We want to be transformed so that we are doers of the word. That our life points to one who is greater than ourselves, namely you, Lord Jesus. So meet us in a special way, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, if you're going to understand that this passage is about authority, you have to see it in its context, a context we've not yet highlighted. You need to be familiar with what's happening in chapter 11 especially. Chapter 11 puts before us a scene that will be familiar to, to many of you. It's the scene where Jesus enters Jerusalem and the temple and having come into the temple, he acts in a way that we we see him act at no other time. He sees people changing money from one currency to another. He sees people selling things like doves as sacrifices to be made at the temple. And if you look at verse 15 of chapter 11, you will see Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. Angered by the fact that this place that was supposed to be a place of prayer had been turned into a place of commerce. Recognizing that those who were, who were selling these things were often taking advantage of the poor. Jesus turns over tables and cracks whips and again acts in an un-Jesus-like way. <laughs> the, the religious authorities, the leaders in the temple see this. And if you uh, will note verse 28 of chapter 11, they ask him the question. By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you authority to do this? What right do you have? You see, this whole passage is about authority. 
What right, what agency, what authority do you have? And it's to that question Jesus then shares the parable of the tenants. We'll consider it in detail together, but before we do, let's make sure we're all together about what a parable is. Is a parable a true story? No. A parable is a, uh, is a fictional story. But is a, is a parable meant to help us understand something that's true? Yes, right? So a parable is a fictional story meant to convey a profoundly important truth. And parables, though they certainly will have primary meanings, are also taught in, so that we can apply them to our lives in, in various different ways. And so it is not out of bounds, so to, say, so to speak, to have kind of different meetings attached to the, ter- to the parables as it would be in appropriate other parts of Scripture. Now this parable, you likely have already seen uh, we're given the meaning. We're not always given the meaning as parables are shared in the scripture. But this one, Jesus helps us see. No, the religious leaders understood that he was pointing at them with this story. And he was accusing them. But just because its primary meaning is intended for religious leaders in ancient Israel doesn't mean we can't think about, all right, how does God want to speak to me today with this story? And so we'll do that here in a little bit. But let's make sure we understand the parable first. Um, I want you to notice verse 1. There's a lot of information shared in verse 1 that if we read past too quickly, we won't recognize how profoundly important it is. Verse 1 introduces us to a vineyard owner who puts in great effort a lot of money and all his heart into planting and creating a vineyard. Notice what he does. He, He plants the vineyard for one. Anybody been a part of planting a vineyard? I mean, it's not like growing a vegetable garden. I get a little patience when my tomatoes don't come after a couple of months. But a, but a vineyard takes not days, weeks, months. It takes years to grow. This vineyard owner had planted the vines and waited for year after year after year, tending these plants. Scripture says he didn't just do that. He put a wall around the vineyard. He dug a hole. He built a wine press. And then he built a watchtower. Lots of effort. Lots of time. Lots of heart. Lots of patience has gone into this vineyard. Steve and Kristen Wacha are members of our congregation. Some of you know them. Steve and Kristen bought some property up in southern Michigan a few years back. And they are in the process of planting a vineyard. I'm excited because they said, as soon as it's ready to go, they're going to invite the whole church up for a party. They promise. It's on video now, so they have to, they have to <laughs> hold to it, right? But I'm still waiting on the invitation. It's been years. I don't know, Sarah, do you know how, like three, four years at least that they've been doing this. Because it takes that long. After making this significant investment, we're still in verse 1 here, you know, 
I hope you don't have dinner reservations because this could be a while, right? After making this significant investment, the vineyard owner entrusts this vineyard to others. He rents it. Again, think about it. He's put years of heart, energy, finances into this, and then he entrusts it. He rents it to others. And he moves away. All right, so here's where we need to stop and use our kind of Holy Spirit-guided imagination. Because the text doesn't tell us something that I think logic will. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the tenants who have just been entrusted with this beautiful vineyard. Again, the plants are now up and healthy and ready to produce. The wall is built and there's not a hole in it. The watchtower is strong. The wine press is there. And you, among others, have been chosen to rent this beautiful place. This place that cost a whole lot. How would you feel as a tenant taking possession of this vineyard on the very first day? I want you to think about some words that might be true about the way you would feel. As you're thinking about that, let me put some other memories in your mind that you might be able to relate to that. Remember that, that moment. You were probably young when you bought your first house or came into that first apartment you were renting and it was yours, just yours. How did you feel when you came into that place? Or maybe that that first, or maybe not the first, but remember a new job. Something you'd really, really wanted. And, and finally it comes. And on that first day, I want you to remember, what did that feel like? Or maybe it's in relationship. You had had your eyes on this particular person for quite a while. And all of a sudden, things came together in such a way that you're now together. And on that first day, how are you feeling? feeling. Call out some words. Pride? Good. Excited. Excited. Pride. What else? Grateful. Appreciative. Fortunate. Anxious because yeah, this is, whoa, I realize how important this is. Yeah. All of that. I think so. That's what I wrote in, in my notes. Excitement, gratitude, honor, respect, appreciation. All of that, surely, wouldn't you agree? I mean, the text doesn't tell us this, but surely the tenants must have felt this on, on day one. But then something happened. Something changed. Because look at verse 2 and following. When the time for harvest came, the the vineyard owner did what anyone would expect the vineyard owner to do. He would send his servants to collect the rent. At that time, it was a portion of the crop. But that servant was met with a very unexpected action. Instead of demonstrating great appreciation, gratitude, honor, respect, the servant was beaten and sent away empty-handed. Surely the landowner heard about this. Maybe there's some confusion, so he sends another servant. 
One receives the same treatment, even worse, actually. The landowner must be the most patient man in the world because he sends a third servant, and this one they killed. And then the text says, if you look, I think, around verse 5, he just keeps doing this over and over. He sends many servants, some they abuse, some they kill, but all of them they send away. And that's recognized from last week. You know, this, this vineyard owner would have significant power, right, compared to the tenants. These people who are renting, this vineyard owner owns land, so certainly he's got some wealth, he's got connections, he could enlist the army. He, there's lots of things he could do, but he doesn't. Instead, verse 6, he does the most incredible thing. Demonstrating great patience and love. Making himself vulnerable. He sends his son. His reasoning is this. Well, I, I guess my servants didn't suggest enough to the tenants that I, that I meant it. That, I, that I'm the one that has authority. But, but surely if I send my son, they will recognize my authority. They will recognize how serious I am. And they will do what is right. And everything will be okay. Is that what happened? What did they do? I was reading with grace and hope. And I led them to this point in the passage. The reason hope says, oh, so many questions is because, you know, we were engaging with the text for like 20 minutes. You only saw two minutes worth. But I came to this moment. Hope's a six-year-old, really sweet kindergarten-age girl. And I said to her, Hope, what do you think the vineyard's gonna, vineyard owner's going to do when he discovers they killed his son? Guess what she said? Kill him. She got it right. I just couldn't, I, I didn't have the heart to put a little six-year-old six girl on video in front of us in worship saying, kill him. But she's right. I mean, the gospel suggests that God gives us opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to recognize his authority in the world. He shows the extent of his love as, as he gave his son. But make, make no mistake, there will come a moment where God's indulgence of the abuse of our own authority will come to an end. And he says, that's enough. Now, it was not only hope that got it right, but it was grace too. For did you hear the last word that she said in that video? As the vineyard owner turns the vineyard over to others, he does so with great sadness. Because what more could he have done? Well, let's... Make sure we try to interpret this parable rightly. We've already acknowledged that Jesus says this is primarily given to the, to the religious leaders in ancient Israel who exercised authority over God's covenant people and in the temple. 
Instead of leading them to recognize the ultimate authority in God himself, they were using it for their own self-serving purposes. But does that mean it doesn't apply to us? I mean, you could look at me and go, well, you're kind of a religious leader, so it applies to you, Clint, but we're out of here, right? No. I think each of us could look at our lives and go, okay, what vineyards have been entrusted to us? A vineyard would be any place, any relationship, any circumstance where God has entrusted to us some authority. But, of course, that authority is always meant to be uh, submitted to the greater authority of the one who has given this to you, of God himself. What are some of those vineyards, those places in your lives? Family would be one, right? If you have children or grandchildren, God has given you a, a vineyard to tend. And he's expecting you to exercise authority appropriately there. What are some other places? Workplace, right? Sometimes it's not a place. Sometimes it's an investment portfolio. God's entrusted to you resources. And he's saying, all right, so how are you going to use these? Sometimes it's relationships. Sometimes it is actual land and legacy. Again, my first church was a rural church. And one farmer in particular, he was obsessed with the notion that this farm had been in his family for generations. In fact, it had been deeded to them in somehow in relationship to the Revolutionary War. Because his ancestor had fought, he had, they had been given this land, and he knew that it wasn't just to produce a profit, but to maintain the legacy of his family. That's how he entered into, into farming. What are, the, what are the vineyards that have been entrusted to you? Your body's a vineyard, right? God says, hey, I'm giving you a body. Are you taking care of it? Yeah. <laughs> More on that later, for me anyways, right? The church is a vineyard, right? Somebody from an Episcopalian background asked me downstairs just a minute ago, hey, you're in charge here, aren't you? No, we don't have a bishop. We don't have a priest. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. We all have agency, authority in the life of our church, and so we're called to tend that. How are we doing? How are we doing with our family, with our work, with our relationships, with our life here in the church? Is there any chance that we might make the mistake the tenants made where at first receiving those vineyards, we're excited, we're grateful, we're appreciative, but, but all of a sudden now we're angry, we're jealous, we're greedy, we're entitled. Entitled. You ever experienced that? Sure you have. Sure you have. You remember those feelings of love early in marriage, and then you go through those years where you're going, who is this person? What was I thinking? Right? You receive, yeah, <laughs> don't say that too loud. Right? <laughs> you receive that house, like you're so excited to be in it, and then all you can see is that crack in the roof. It's just, what a dump. I've moved into here, right? All of that. 
Some of you found the perfect church until it wasn't. Because there is no such thing. How do, you, how do you keep from moving from this place of great appreciation and excitement to anger and entitlement? <laughs> There's a clue in the text I'm excited to show you. Ron's the one that put me onto the scent here, and then the God's Spirit kind of showed me in a, in a greater way. This is, this is exciting. I, I wish I could tell you every Sunday I'm as excited to preach as I, as I am this Sunday. It's not true. Sometimes I'm just doing what God calls me to do, but there's something here I've never seen before. Look at verse 10 and 11. Jesus, in trying to help his hearers understand this parable, quotes an Old Testament verse, a psalm, Psalm 118. We used a portion of it already in the call to worship. He says, haven't you read this passage of Scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, when Jesus or any New Testament writer, for that matter, quotes an Old Testament passage, one thing that's important to remember is that the audience to whom they're speaking, if they're Jews, have been versed in the Old Testament since their childhood. And so when something like a psalm is quoted, the hearer will not bring to mind just the words that are spoken, but the whole psalm from which those words came. We do the same thing, even though we don't recognize it sometimes. Like, for example, if I say this, our father... Your next couple words would be? Right. right. So all I have to do is say our Father, and you import into your mind the whole of the Lord's Prayer. Well, they do the same thing with the Psalms. And Psalm 8, 118 is the key to keep from moving from this place of appreciation and excitement to anger and entitlement. Let me show you how Psalm 118 starts give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever give thanks to the Lord for he is good his love endures forever see Psalm 118 is not so much about cornerstone and capstone and all of this it is a psalm all about gratitude and gratitude is the key to keep us from from overusing our own authority, from, from moving from this place of, of, of excitement to a place of entitlement. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. That's the way it starts, but let me just read a little bit more of it for you, because it is rich. Let Israel say, I don't care if you feel like it or not, let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. Just when things are good? No. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals or people do to me? And it goes on and on and on like this, just thick with gratitude. I mean, skip ahead and read the portion that's quoted by Jesus. Verse 21, I will give you thanks. 
for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. So let us rejoice today and be glad in it. There's that childhood song. Do you remember? This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has. Gratitude. Gratitude's the key. It, it continues on still until the very end. Notice the last verse. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Same verse, beginning and end, meant to help us recognize gratitude is the key. Gratitude is the key. Nurturing a spirit of gratitude for all that has been entrusted to us is the key that will keep us from moving from a place of excitement to a place of entitlement. From this place of appreciation to always being angry because of what's going on. And you felt that, haven't you? Think about your vineyards again. When, when you're in your family and, and things just aren't going right, the kids, whether they're this little or they're now this big, right, aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. It's tempting in that moment to do what the tenants did in the vineyard, to take control, exercise authority, because you are in charge. But if you do, you'll never experience the life God wants for you. God does call you to exercise authority, no doubt, but but as you ultimately trust him, the one who gave you that vineyard in the, in the first place. If you're, if you're here in the church, for example, you might feel, I would understand, you know, if you feel like, what is happening to my church? Like, I just don't know what's going on. I don't know half the people anymore. It just feels alien to me. And you get, and you get anxious and you go, I've been here 40 years. And you take hold of that authority and you say, it's got to be. But all you'll be is angry and entitled. God says, no, you do have authority here, but trust me. Because my authority is greater. Oh boy, it's happening in our nation right now, right? We look at the country in which we live. Many feel like things are just out of control, spiraling in the wrong direction. What are we going to do? We're going to grip and take hold of our authority in any way we know how. And we're going to chirp and talk to our neighbor until we talk to our neighbor, until we talk to our neighbor, until our neighbor doesn't want to talk to us anymore. <laughs> and then what authority do you have? Yeah, it's a blessing. We live in a democracy. We have some authority, but God says, hey, Recognize who's ultimately in charge. Trust me. Trust me and act in a Christ-like manner. It's hard, especially when it feels like things are out of control, to, to give up trust in our own authority and take hold of Jesus. The religious leaders knew it was hard. That's why this text is followed by that give unto Caesar what is Caesar's passage. They recognized what was happening. 
Jesus and his disciples and all of the Hebrew people were living under great oppression from Rome. It was hard. And the religious leaders knew that, 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 that this would be a difficult thing, and so they saw an opportunity to challenge Jesus. And they said, hey, so what do you think, Jesus? How would you exercise your authority? You're a religious leader. You obviously don't care what anyone thinks of you. You just cracked whips in the temple, and you don't think anything of us. So should we pay taxes? Notice what Jesus said. My paraphrase. Hey, exercise your authority where it's given to you. But recognize that everything ultimately belongs to God. So give unto Caesar what's Caesar's, even if you don't like it. And experience the peace that can come with letting go of trust in your own authority because you know the one who is ultimately in charge. We're going to come to the table here in a minute. And it struck me that, that part of the problems in the parable, or one of the major problems in the parable, was that the vineyard owner, after he set everything up, and recruited the tenants, he entrusted the vineyard to them, and he left. We don't know for how long, and we don't know for how far. But he left. But we come to this table remembering Jesus' promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That I will be with you to the very end of the age. That Jesus has said, as you are called to exercise your authority in this world, no, I'm right there with you. I want to help you. In a world that seems to be spinning out of control, it's tempting to take Authority for ourselves, let's not do it. This table calls us to remember. To remember with gratitude the one who gave his life for our salvation. The one who has demonstrated ultimate authority even over death as he rose from the grave. Let's let go of trust in our own authority, our own ability to control outcomes so that we can take hold of the kingdom that belongs to the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. Let's pray together before we come to the table. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for who you are, that you are one who does indeed have all authority, all power, but as we saw last week, you did, not, you did not use that for yourself. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And give his life as a ransom for us. Would you help us to submit our authority to you? Forgive us for the countless ways we have acted like the tenants and resisted your ultimate authority in our lives. We thank you for your mercy, your grace, your patience evident in this parable, time after time after time, finding fulfillment ultimately in the Son. Would you help us as we come to the table to recognize your love, your grace, and your promised presence with us here. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
We hope you've enjoyed our First Pres Mommy podcast. Learn more about our church at our website, firstpresmommy.org. Have a great week.